Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, episode number 103. I am a real estate broker and investor named Daniel Foch. And I'm Nick Hill, real estate investor and mortgage agent at LandBank Advisors. And today we have a great episode about adding units to your investment properties. But before we do that, make sure you check out realestatemerch.ca for our merch and realestatemeetups.ca for our meetups. Pretty self-descriptive domains right there. That's how we like it. And remember, our podcast network meetup is next Friday, July 7th. The link is in the show notes. And the next real estate meetup is July 17th in Kitchener-Waterloo, which is on realestatemeetups.ca pretty easy. Perfect. Great place for it. Yeah. (laughs) And in September, we're going to be rolling out meetups coast to coast because we want to create a community of people who are passionate about real estate investing. And hopefully you can meet people to help you on your journey. Yeah, exactly, Dan. And that's what this episode is about. Who you need to add more units to your property. Now, we've already covered what that could be, you know, a current investment property or one that you're planning on buying. And we've already covered the why, because after all, if you listen to this show, you know that our perspective is the best way to create cash flow and capital appreciation is by adding units to investment properties. And we've kind of already loosely done a how to do that, but we haven't really given a step-by-step. And Dan, we're, we're big step-by-step guys now, so let's do it. Yeah. Now we just need the when, because it's like, it's who, what, when, where, and how, right? So we need a when. The when is now. Just call us at 1-800-RE-GURUS <laughs> for a limited time offer for your step-by-step guide on how to get a tenant to buy your first Lamborghini for you. Do you are you buying 1-800 numbers now instead of domains? I thought uh, I thought you get the Rolex before you get the Lamborghini. Uh, before that, you get the Ferragucci belt buckle, obviously. <laughs> and this can ta- this concludes today's episode, the step-by-step guide. So number one, become a landlord. Step two, get a Ferragucci belt. Step three, get a Rolex. Step four, you get a Lamborghini. Is that, <laughs> where's the private jet? Unless you go full DIY investor, then you need to get a van, but then you can call it a Van Burgini. There you go. So you skipped a couple <laughs> steps there. Yeah, you probably make more money in the process. Also, to be fair... We're not even really giving you a step-by-step guide on it yet today. Um, We're building out a course kind of on a lot of that stuff, but we will be giving you the people who can give you the step-by-step or help you with the step-by-step. I mean, that sounds a little unhelpful, Dan, to be fair. The broad steps are in here, and maybe we can start with three things you need to add units to your investment property, then reverse engineer it from there, right? So for instance, planning's drawings, and a building. So then simply put, the people you need are a planner, a drawer, and a builder. Wow. Um, Really good, but maybe a bit too simple there. Let's dive in a little bit. So for planning, you need a planning team. Like you said, a municipal planner. Now, this could also include consultants for something like an environmental study, forestry tree study, site plan control, landscape architecture, you know, maybe even like if are you in the floodplain or something like that? Then of course, drawings. Um, you know, it's it's nice and fun to sketch out what the kitchen's going to look like, but you can't really do that to a certain extent. You need an engineer or a comparably qualified person to stamp the drawings. 
then you could submit homeowner drawings, but unless you're, you know, incredibly talented homeowner slash drawer, you likely need a professional like an architect or a BCIN and potentially an engineer if you're going to be switching out some walls or moving some things around. Yeah. Great summary. And we'll, we're going to dive in on that. And then the last piece is building. For building, you need a general contractor or construction manager. And some people do elect to try and be sort of the DIY construction manager or general contractor. And in that case, you'd need to build a team out under you to execute. So things like framers, skilled trades, and we're going to go through all of that. Yeah, exactly, Dan. So, I mean, the title of the episode and kind of how we introduced it was three people, but in reality, it's more like you actually need three teams. Okay. So let's start from the top here then. The first one on the team, um, I, I guess, and and those three are kind of just like the leaders of those teams. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So let, let's go back here. Right? Let's start from the top here with the planning phase. Okay. So your planner, planners determine if a unit can even be added to the property. So they'll go and basically say, okay, we're going to look at the planning. We're going to say, does the municipality even allow one or two units here? Because it's different. I mean, we know we're seeing progress that a lot of municipalities and provinces are asking for more um, density, but it's not, you know, it hasn't changed at a national level yet. In many areas where multiplexes or ADUs are being made legal in quotation marks, as of right, you can often skip this step. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just introduce a new term here? I think I did, Nick. Okay, well, let me jump in here. As of right zoning is entitlement of the owner of the property to use or develop it. That is without recourse to the public hearing process or a vote of municipal council if the proposed use accords with zoning bylaws. Can you use that in a sentence now, Nick? What is this, a spelling bee? I'm not supposed to. I'm the dictionary, the dictionary, not a, not a spelling bee student, okay? Okay, so yeah, read me this from the city of Halifax website. Yeah, for sure. So before you get started, it's important to understand the rules and laws surrounding development in Halifax. Some development needs special approval by regional council, but that's rare. Most developments in a municipality are what's called as of right development. That simply means that you have the right to develop your property as you see fit, as long as your development complies with zoning regulations. So I guess not as you see fit, as yeah, not, they see fit. Not really. Yeah, that's that's classic government, though. Right? Yeah, you can do whatever you want as long as it fits into this little box that we've we given want. you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, land development within a particular community is based on regional councils' policies, as stated in the MPS, which is the Municipal Planning Strategy. Yeah. Okay. So let's actually continue to use that example because their website has a pretty good walkthrough on it. So it goes on to say, after you've determined what kind of projects are allowed where you live, contact a development officer at the at the as of right development office, which is crazy that they have a specific office yeah, for things that are that. already, but I guess they have the planning department for, so that's you know stuff that already you can do. And then they probably have a planning department for things that you can't do and you have to go ask for permission. I wonder, do you think they have like a, a make work department? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I've, I've heard that. Uh, I think the, I think that's the whole thing. Right. right. No offense. No, I'm just joking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, then they'll basically tell you which permits you need for your particular plan and walk you through the process. So the, the goal here is you, you go to this office and this is most municipalities and then they'll give you a list of work you need to, to do. So I guess to answer your question, Nick, 
it is kind of a make work mm. department because they give you a list of the work that you need to do to, to <laughs> fulfill your project, right? Not exactly what I meant, but I like I like where you're going with that. So you're probably wondering at this point, how do I know if my plan is considered quote unquote as of right development? Well, you can explore you can use explore HRM to determine which land use bylaw is in effect in your community. Now, that land use bylaw will give you a good sense of what you can and can't do in that area. So if you aren't sure if your development requires special discretionary approval by council, contact the As of Right Development Office or for further information, review the Guide to As of Right Developments. Yeah, so that's an example from Halifax. We're trying to mix it up, just show you sort of what it would look like in different cities across Canada. Um, now we'll visit an, an example from Ontario, since this is where we're seeing the ability to add units happening in the as of right development. So, you know, with the more homes built faster plan, which is that Ontario plan done by Doug Ford's government, up to three residential units are permitted as of right on most lands zoned on for one home in residential areas without needing a municipal bylaw amendment or a zoning bylaw amendment. So no change to zoning, no um, no increases to density, no uh, minor variances, no committees. Uh, as of right, you can do it. You have the right to do it. Depending on the property in question, these three units could all be within the existing residential structure or it could take the form of a residence with an in-law or basement suite and a laneway or garden home. These new units must be compliant with the building code and municipal bylaws. This is where you get to the drawing portion of things. These Units could also be exempt from or would also be exempt from development charges and parkland dedication fees. And that's from last year. Then when we got these articles in April of this year where BC actually won up them and said, okay, up to four homes allowed to be on a single family lots. And that's across British Columbia. Man, if provinces are going to start competing on how many units you can add to single family housing lots, I'm here for it. Yeah, seriously. It's just like a poker game, you know. BC saw Ontario's three and was like, I raise you four. I wonder who's going to call that bet or even maybe raise it to five or six. I mean, federal government should just upzone Canada six plexes and call it a day. I mean, it would be a meaningful way for them to actually continue to try and make homeowners rich while also solving the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. And, and let's look at what the media has to say about this and why this is important. So from Stories Publishing, a uh, great media source that we use and contribute to on occasion, this is back from uh, an article from 2021. All major streets and avenues in Toronto are all only zoned for three stories, resulting in a cumbersome years-long rezoning process for developers. But now as of right zoning is being touted as a way to bring supply to the market faster. Exactly. And that's really why, you know, working within this as of right environment is where we're able to get units to the market faster and why we recommend. So our recommendation to you as a beginner investor and developer is focus on building small amounts of infill one to three units in as of right areas. If you do this and it's as of right in many areas, you're probably wondering if it's even necessary to get a planner. So while you don't necessarily need a planner, it doesn't hurt to have one just to look at the site and confirm the assumptions you're making to make sure there aren't any limitations. It's worth uh, you know, 100 to $300 per hour you'll pay. It'll probably take them only an hour, whereas it would take me or you you know, two to three hours. And just to make sure you're kind of not heading past the point of no return in, in, a, in a deal on the wrong path, 
And for me, it's literally worth that 100 to 300 per hour because I typically have to spend you know over an hour doing the research and I consider my time worth that within that range. So I'd rather buy that time back by doing something else. Wow. Look at you, big time abundance guy, eh? Yeah, more like time management and essentialism, which is a great book by Greg McEwen. Um, if you get the chance for some further reading nice. on essentialism. Yeah. Great, nice. great to, for those of us with ADHD, which I have. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. The other thing is that if you're an investor, which you likely are, or at least an aspiring investor, if you're listening to Dan and I talk about real estate and investing twice a week for almost a year now, um, and you want to become a developer later, you may want to buy property that has more future potential and let it cash flow today, baby. Now, I, you know, Dan, this is something that you and I have been speaking about since we kind of got into this business together years ago that we both love. This is something that we both really love. Like we both love a property that has, you know, that works today, but could really, really work tomorrow. And I don't mean tomorrow isn't literally tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow isn't like five, 10, 15 years from now where you're like, okay, you know, this is a big enough plot of land or the zoning here could change or there is a commercial property or industrial property right down the street or, you know, you just look for those things that that have those future potentials to develop. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's really sort of the perfect investment strategy from my perspective, a property that makes you money today and tomorrow. And if you're doing that, you'll want to have a planner on your team to help guide you to where you should be buying to get more future value with the investments that you're making today. Now, the more units you can build on your site in the future, the more potential value it could have in the future. Pretty pretty complicated stuff there. Yeah. So a planner isn't necessary in those areas of Canada where you can build multiple units as of right, but there are a lot of areas where you can't do that. In those areas, you'll need a planner to help you. And in some cases, you may need to do something like a severance or a minor variance or... I mean, regardless, I do think getting a planner is a good member of the team and someone I always run a deal by as part of my due diligence process to see if it has any zoning upside in the future. Um, I guess, you know, to be clear as well, in my personal portfolio outside of the fund, I literally won't buy anything that doesn't have future development upside. I focus on major arterial roads in small towns that will be future high density or missing middle sites. I look at these as investments as... 10 to 20 year cash flow holds today, then I will redevelop them into their highest and best use in the future when I own them outright and I have the cash and the time because I really don't have the time right now to be a developer, um, the cash and time to do it. But in the most extreme case, I'll later have to do a zoning bylaw amendment to request any units. But my, my hope is that we start seeing more further and further progression of the as of right, um, which the planner would have to do for me. Um, it may be worth actually just taking a quick detour here on the role of a planner in in real estate in Canada and why they're valuable to investors. Yeah, 100%. Um, so let's look at a few key reasons why a municipal planner is valuable to a real estate investor here in Canada. So the first one being the regulatory expertise. Now, municipal planners possess in-depth knowledge of local zoning bylaws, land use policies, development regulations, and more. They can provide crucial guidance to real estate investors, ensuring that their investment plans align with these regulations and minimize the risk of costly legal issues or, you know, delays, which can just go on for months. 
Yeah, they can also do feasibility assessments. So, you know, they'll examine whether or not a project or investment is feasible by considering the zoning restrictions, infrastructure requirements, and community impact. Their expertise helps investors understand the potential challenges and opportunities associated with a specific property or development plan. They also have access to information that you and I likely wouldn't have or likely would have a harder time getting. So planners have access to valuable information regarding official plans, development policies, market trends within their municipalities, and they can also provide real estate investors with insights into future growth areas, investment opportunities, and emerging market trends, enabling investors to make the most informed decisions. So the next piece is public engagement and perception. Planners often do the uh, public consultation engagement processes. So this is like where you hear a bunch of NIMBYs yelling at developers. Uh, <laughs> you you don't want to be the that person in a lot of cases. Um, you know, especially if you're a more private real estate developer, you're not doing it as like a public business. Um, it gives real estate the opportunity to present their projects and address community concerns, but the planners kind of. It enhances the acceptance, but it also, I think, minimizes conflicts with local residents and stakeholders, which is is a value, honestly. For sure, for sure. Um, and speaking of value, they they also can help you with the like navigating through that whole process, right? So municipal planners guide real estate investors through the complex regulatory processes and permit applications, right? This isn't you're not just going to get a permit to build a deck in the backyard. This gets a lot more complicated. They help streamline the approval process, ensuring that all necessary documentation and trust me, there's a lot of it. Uh, is prepared and requirements are met and timelines are adhered to. Now, again, requirements being met, the last thing you want to do, and this is similar to landlord tenant board, is you don't want to bring a, uh, you know, a half completed or an incorrect um, requirement and and then just be put to the back of the line, right? So this is where they can come in and help you navigate that process. And this support saves both time and reduces the risks of financially costly mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, to kind of compound on that, that risk mitigation is really a big role, right? They, you know, they will identify a lot of these concerns. They kind of build out that team below them. And, you know, they look at things like environmental concerns, traffic, infrastructure. So you're, whether or not your water and sewers, you know, whether or not there's enough, a big enough pipe to handle all the poop or whether or not there's a big enough pipe to bring in enough water for that as many units as you want to have. Um, and by identifying and addressing these risks early on, you can kind of develop a project and, and really understand how much money you're going to have to uh, spend, but also, you know, check those boxes that towns want to see, which is financial viability, sustainability, and social responsibility. Um, they're also the ones who can legally do planning opinions or planning justification studies that the municipality will actually accept. Most municipalities won't even really let you change anything on your property without that. Yeah, exactly. Dan, I mean, I think a really good way to think about them is almost as a general contractor, but for some soft costs, right? So planners often become the, was known as the prime consultant or the leader of the consultants since they're at the top of the funnel. They're usually the first person that an investor or developer goes to. So they end up, you know, managing the subsequent team of professionals. And that subsequent team can include a whole bunch of different people, right? I mean, you'll have, depending on the site or, or the, the scale of the project, you'll have surveyors and geotechnical analysis, 
Um, you'd have ESA or ESAs, which is like environmental studies, environmental assessments, phase ones and phase twos, which actually test the soil. So for instance, like if you're, you know, buying a site and there was an old gas station there, you could be running into a problem or a laundromat or something of that nature. Dry cleaners uh, or amount of deals I've seen killed by dry cleaners, man. We should actually, we, we need to do a bit more of a segment on, on that stuff. Cause it's just For sure. so it's interesting. It is fascinating it's, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, because no one thinks that like a dry cleaner kills a gas station. You're like, okay, yeah, I get that a bit, but dry cleaners, it's a uh, always left field. Anyways, um, you might need arborists on the team. If there's, uh, trees, endangered trees, mature trees on the property that you'd want to keep. Yeah, actually, the arborist piece is interesting in regards to the laneway houses because I did that laneway tour with Brandon Donnelly, who's a notable um, developer in in Toronto, and he built this awesome laneway home. I I did a YouTube video on it. It's on McKay Ave in Toronto, and they actually had to float the building above. I guess their arborist determined there's this significant tree, and Toronto is very protective of of their trees because it's part kind of part of the identity of the city within a park thing. Yeah, yeah, and. and so what they did was, I guess they put a camera in the ground and they determined where the roots were and they were actually guiding these helical piles down. Wow. Yeah. And the building was sitting on helical piles so that the tree is still, it's a big feature of the house now. Like there's a big skylight looking up into this tree. Awesome. But it, so yeah, it was really cool. But anyway, that these are the kind of challenges they estimated that that cost, you know, was probably like an extra hundred K to switch it over wow. to helical piles. Right. But anyway, that's wild. Um, yeah. And a few other people you'll, you'll likely need are, are, landscape architects um you know you might even be doing some archaeology who knows you might come across some dinosaur bones unlikely but uh you never know and and then of course people to do the actual drawing so again think of think of the planners as as kind of the 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 gc for your soft costs and and for your the leader of the rest of the consultants that you'll need yeah, there's a couple of good like listeners on the show that we have and people that we talk to about this. Like in Toronto, Greg Ewens, I've done a couple of Twitter spaces with him. He's awesome for missing middle stuff. Would highly recommend if you, if you want an intro, just send us an email. Um, and then Zoe Brooke, who's also a listener on the show in, in the Vancouver market. Um, happy to make an introduction there as well. Um, and yeah, I think the last thing you mentioned on the list was people to do the drawings. So with that, I guess we've sort of arrived at our next category of people, which is people to do drawings. So you've worked with your planner to confirm that you can, in fact, make changes to your property. So that's step one. Now you're on to step two. So if you want to change a property, there are basically two things you can change. You can change the site or the piece of dirt, or you can change the building. To change the site, you need a plan. Site plus plan equals site plan. <laughs> Groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. Wow. No pun intended. That was a great pun, um, actually. <laughs> uh, so to change the building, then do you need a building plan? I mean, that's actually kind of one name for it or a set of plans or drawings to communicate what you're changing and building and to give guidance to the contractors who are going to make those changes. Now, keep in mind as we go through this, we're using really loose and general and probably oversimplified terminology to make this applicable to everyone and every province and municipality, coast to coast in Canada. So there's definitely going to be some gaps in here. If you want more clarification or translations for your local municipality, here's a tip. Call a planner. Do that for sure. So so you may need a site plan depending on the municipality and you may have to go through a, a process called site plan control and ultimately arrive at a site plan agreement with the town where they basically agree to let you do what you're asking with your own property, with your site, also known as a property. 
Now, site plans can be done by professionals at planning offices as well as landscape architects. The best way to explain this is if you were adding a garden suite or a laneway house, you'd be adding more floor plate and more house to the lot. So you need a site plan for that before you get your building permits. And then on top of that, you need to get building permits. So this can be done by one of three people in Ontario, for example. So architects uh, who are registered with the OAA, Ontario Association of Architects, have the authority to prepare and submit building code drawings in Ontario. Professional engineers or PENG, um, they are registered with the Professional Engineers of Ontario, PEO. And then in Ontario, we have BCIN holders, building code identification number holders, who are individuals who have acquired specific qualifications that are allowed to do these drawings, but aren't technically um, architects or engineers. Um, And then there's other groups of uh, architectural technologists as well. Um, Keep in mind, each building code is regulated provincially, so it varies on a province by province basis. Yeah, are you center of the universe again? Why don't we just do the rest of Canada as well? Yeah, I mean, the rest of Canada is actually pretty standardized. Um, Again, it's all done on a provincial level, but the regulations according to who can submit building code drawings vary from province to province. It's basically the same everywhere else except for BC, but... Um, architects, engineer, or certified architectural technologist, or tech, they have different names, but can do drawings basically anywhere in Canada. But on top of that, uh, Ontario and BC are a bit different because, well, they always have to be so special. Um, Ontario has the BCIN, and then I'll, I'll let you talk about what makes BC so special since you're also so special because you're from BC. Oh, wow. Thanks, man. I don't um, know if that was a chirp or a compliment. <laughs> I'll take it as both a little bit. So let's talk about BC. So in British Columbia, architects, professional engineers, and registered interior designers are typically authorized to submit building code drawings for building permits. There you go. So interior designers, and we mentioned that at the end here, sort of in the contracting team, there are things that they can do on the interior side as well. Um, It is worth noting that the people doing these drawings also become like contractors to hire in different studies as well, such as heat loss studies, HVAC, soundproofing studies, etc., and that's very timely because we just recorded an episode with Mike from Sonapan, which is coming up soon. You must have heard the ads by now. Shh, it's Sonapan. Or you haven't heard them because it's so quiet. Because uh, they have Sa- Sonapan, right? And he talks, Mike's a building expert, so outside of Sonapan, he's spent uh, well over a decade uh, in the in the industry with different construction materials. And he talks a lot about building materials for multiplex units, so stay tuned for that one. Yeah, for sure. Mike's an awesome guy. He also used to work in the power tool industry, which we have a couple shout outs coming up in this episode. So, okay. Now last, but definitely not least because they make the most amount of money. The people who install the building materials you just mentioned, contractors. So before we get into contractors, I just responded to a Twitter thread this morning. Uh, some some guy posted a, a Rolls Royce on a construction side. And he's like, what do you do if your contractor pulls up in this? <laughs> And then I commented, which now has a bunch of likes. I just saw a yacht with the name on it on the back that uh, that said change order. So Love it. there we go. Shout out to all the contractors out there just killing it. Um, so now you're on step three. Congrats. You've come this far. Step one uh, and verif- you got verified to the planner that you can add units or a unit. Step two, you got drawings done uh, and you know what you're going for. Step three, pre-order your Lamborghini. Then step four, hire a contractor and cancer, cancel your Lamborghini because that shit's about to get expensive. 
<laughs> so when adding a regular apartment to a building in all seriousness now uh here are some skilled trades that may need to get involved now you've heard us talk about contractors well a general contractor is a contractor that oversees the project so similar to a project manager but specifically for the construction side of things they manage the various trades and ensure the work is carried out according to the design plans building code they try to keep the project on time and on budget do they try and keep it on time and on budget maybe on time probably not on budget (laughs) change Change orders um Next, you have a carpenter. And these are people who would be hired by the general contractor, GC. I mean, the big part is, you know, to be honest, it's, and we talked to Joey about this, who we're going to have on the show, who's a GC who, who does a lot of these ADUs and, and laneways. Um, a lot, not a lot of people want to manage people and not a lot of people want to manage trades. I mean, they're, they're tough people in a lot of cases. Like, I'm not saying rough by any means, but they're tougher than me. Like, I would be scared trying to tell them what to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so oh, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a very unique skill set, but also having the expertise to know everything and know where to, you know, allocate cost changes or where to like, where to cut corners, where not to cut corners. Right. Um, so anyway, the, the GC will bring on the first thing in most cases I would say is a, is a carpenter or structural contractor. So this is somebody who is responsible for framing construction and modifications required to create separate living spaces within the property for the apartment. Then you need your Milwaukee folks, the ones who, you know, drill holes in the frames that you're going to put stuff in. Yeah. Are we doing product placement now? Like, are you trying to get some free tools from Milwaukee? Aren't you? Yeah. I just made like five grand and and got two drills out of that. So what if I am (laughs) more of a DeWalt guy myself? And if anyone's listening and wants us to, wants to send us some free tools to hang in the background of our podcast studio while we're talking. Yeah. I mean, Dan, Hey, this did work with, uh, with Troy, but, but let's be real, Dan, I've been to the garage in the studio and you're a big Ryobi guy. You're not supposed to tell anyone that. dude. <laughs> it's actually hilarious. Those, those memes about all this. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think they care. No publicity is bad publicity. In my opinion, I think they're all actually made by like DeWalt and, or sorry, um, rigid and Ryobi are made by the same company. Anyway, I will stand behind Ryobi with pride. Actually the great affordable tools for homeowners who don't use them that often. Um, it would, uh, it's funny because whenever you see like a Pinterest, uh, thing, it's all, they're always using the Ryobi tools, right? It would be a shame <laughs> if they heard that plug actually, and then sent me a bunch of free tools. Oh, what a shame. Um, anyways, let's get back to drilling holes here. So, uh, the next major person that they, a contractor would need and would have on their team is an electrician. Uh, pretty obvious electricians handles the electrical wiring, the outlets, the lighting, they ensure compliance with electrical codes. That's a big one. So, you know, if you're, if you feel confident that you can go throw in a couple pot lights or a couple boxes, that's great. But you know, how far away from the sink are they? Do you know the code? And if you're going to put that in and, and violate the code and the inspector is going to come by afterwards, he's going to make you rip that out and do it again. So, This is why you want someone that understands the codes and the safety standards for whatever you're building. Similar to the next person, which is a plumbing contractor. Now, a plumbing contractor does the same things you'd imagine, uh, installs or modifies the plumbing system, including water supply lines, drainage, sewage connections for the apartments, kitchens, bathrooms, and any other plumbing fixtures you may have. Yeah, and... and if, especially if you're doing like a, if you really want to do a proper duplex where you can capitalize the utilities into or proper multiplex where you can capitalize the utilities in, um, there's, you know, they might have to be 
the ones putting in um, the new water mains or water mm-hmm. meters. You can also get these, you can get inline water meters so you can actually divide it up as a landlord. There's this product called iDRO, like a, your I, E-Y-E DRO, I think. And they actually can measure it from outside of the line. Um, but a lot of this comes down to code, right? That you, when you're adding a unit, you're going to need an occupancy permit for that unit in the fullness of time. And to do that, you need to have all of this done by code and checked by the, uh, in, you know, in Ontario, we have ESA, Electri- Electrical Safety Authority, um, and then building inspectors as well. Um, same thing, like there are unique demands. So you're going to want somebody, a professional in each of these spaces. A lot of general contractors can do most of the work, but you will probably need one of the the actual certified skilled trades. Like HVAC would be the next one. An HVAC contractor may need, you may need to get baffles as an example for fire protection, uh, fire suppression between units so that fire can't spread through the HVAC. Um, you may want to have two separate HVAC systems so that there's individual climate control if you're going for a more luxury um, unit. Um, AC systems, you know, with up-down units, uh, in a lot of cases, you have these issues with, you know, heat rising too much for the upper tenant or falling too much for the lower tenant, um, ensuring proper climate control and ventilation, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, then another key factor here is the drywall contractor. Ah, uh, yes, the Makita folks. Wow, we're really getting all the shout-outs in there. If anyone from Makita's listening, uh, send I'm, some stuff. I'm hoping all their PR departments just, like, scan these, you know, show. I think the PR departments actually do that. You know, they scan shows for company product mentions. Yeah, I mean, keep going. Maybe we get their attention. They send us some free stuff. Yeah, so if you're a PR department, make sure you tell your Bosch that we want some free tools. <laughs> That's B-O-S-C-H, Bosch, your Bosch. Yeah, we're not really rigid with our expectations at all. Yeah. I mean, as you can see, we like to work hard for free tools. In, in fact, if it comes to it, I would choose this Hilti Dion. <laughs> if you get your financial advice from Christia Freeland, make sure you cancel DeWalt Disney plus. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I think we already said DeWalt dude, but I also think it's just Disney plus not Walt Disney. plus. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. Take your kids to DeWalt Disney World then. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to have to say I'm glad you stretched for that one. Maybe a Disney sponsorship in the future as well. Okay. Let's get back to our actual job here, which is being jealous of how much money contractors make. All right. 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 Sorry. Okay. Uh, a, uh, a drywall contractor installs and finishes drywall, creating finished surfaces for the walls and ceilings in the apartment. Then you have a flooring contractor. I bet you can guess what they do, but they, you know, come in and install the floors. You put in your flooring materials, hardwood, laminate, carpet, uh, carpet, uh, or tiles, maybe linoleum, maybe asbestos. Just kidding. Don't do those. Not recommended. Um, but they put that stuff in the apartment. Then you've got the, one of the, the most classic and, uh, investor favorites here, a painter. So once that construction work is complete, a painter can be engaged to paint the walls, the ceilings. And of course, you know, if you've seen any Instagrams for uh, how investor landlords <laughs> paint, just paint literally over everything, it's light so switches, funny. doors, I don't care. If you, if you go on Google and type in, why do landlords, like the first thing is like, why do, why do landlords paint over everything? That, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's <laughs> interior designers would be the last one. Not a, not a skilled trade per se, but an interior designer can really help you with the layout selection of finishes and overall aesthetic design of the apartment, ensuring it's attractive, but also functional for tenants. Yeah. You also may need 
excavation and forming for your foundation work as as well as a building envelope like sodding or brick if you're doing a ddu or a detached adu or garden suite so as with any construction project it's crucial crucial to comply with local building codes and regulations obtain the necessary permits and engage qualified professionals who are licensed and experienced in their rep respective trades Consulting with local building authorities and professionals in your area will provide specific guidance tailored to your project and location. I, I really thought you were going to be pushing for uh, Kubota or John Deere. I, excavator, I was honestly Bob, just trying not to laugh. When you, when you brought uh, <laughs> excavation and forming up there. <laughs> if Bobcat's listening, just send one. We'll start recording in the Bobcat, I promise. John Deere, come on. Um, yeah, I wonder how John's doing these days. Um, so fire code, look like the summary here is fire code's really the big thing, right? They don't want people to be trapped in one unit while the other unit's on fire. Um, that's the biggest theme around multiplexing. Um, and so when we cover this a lot in the episode that we have coming up with Mike from Sonapan, um, cause they do like a lot of fire suppression stuff, but also noise, um, suppression. But the big thing is dividing units in such a way that you want to have proper fire separation, smoke detectors, you'll have sprinklers in bigger buildings, um, noise transfer between units. So, um, you need the people to make sure that the unit is built that way. So you often put safe and sound insulation between the units, you fire doors, you got, uh, double or five eighths drywall or double drywall. Um, and this is really what separates it because there is a sound, um, sound code as well. Um, which Mike talks about a lot about, you know, Sonapan being a sponsor. Um, but you know, all of these trades really are designed to make sure the units works properly, that they, that the tenant gets all of those utilities, but, but also that it's safe and it's compliant to building code and fire code, especially. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look, uh, this this means some pretty simple things to me. One, we go back to the concept that you and I talk all the time about, Dan, which is who, not how. Right? You need to spend your time finding these teams of people instead of trying to figure out the nuances of building code and zoning. And trust me, I studied building code back in school, you know, over a decade ago. And if you think the Bible is long or the dictionary is long, go look at the building code for your province. And uh, I guess there's a reason that you don't do that for a living now. Eh? Yeah, a little bit. You know, the ADHD stuff doesn't help either. You've got to be very detail oriented. So it's, you know, each one of these people plays a very specific role, right? The flooring contractor, the inspector, uh, the the person who's who's an expert in, in code and, and zoning, that the planner, that that chief consultant. Um, so for me, you know, as you grow, you know, you go from that that one duplex and you do a lot of DIY stuff yourself, um, and you you know you get to your next property, and then you start maybe having that that forward thinking where you're like, okay, you know, the next property I buy, I'm gonna make sure that there is the opportunity to put a laneway suite there, or it's gonna be on a road, or it's gonna be close to an industrial park. Like I know I'm gonna be more aware of of the zoning and whatnot, and then you get you can start to think. Okay, what is this going to look like five years down the line? What's this going to look like 10 years down the line? And that's the way you need to be thinking about real estate investing, right? Get something that does well now and get, and it's going to do way better in the future. And to be honest, I, I love thinking about that. I love looking at each little property almost on an individual level. It's like each one is its own little business, right? Like, is this little business profitable for the next couple of years until I can, you know, turn that little business into a much bigger one, right? So rip that duplex down. And, and build a purpose-built 
12 unit building because I know that I can and I've waited that 10 years. I have enough equity into it. I can pull all the money out and I've got that team of people that I've been building slowly over the last several years. This is not a tomorrow thing. This is a several years from now thing, but it's just a lot of fun to think about this stuff and and exciting as well. For sure. And I think it's it goes against sort of that idea that real estate is a speculative asset. Like a lot of people buy, they buy with the opposite of that. Yeah, They buy it for one single mortgage term, you know, or they're buying it on a, on a variable rate so that they can sell whenever they don't have a penalty or they're trying to buy with an open mortgage. They don't have a penalty. And a lot of people kind of, you know, they're paying the price for that, that strategy right now in a sideways or, or market that's not going up. Um, whereas I think this is a, you know, I mean, you could still exit after five years. Like that could just be your plan B if, you know, if things did go up really well or that you maximize the value of the property. But I think, you know, real estate needs to be thought of in these like almost 10 year increments. So it's like, okay, I'm going to buy this thing. It's going to cash flow for me for 10 years and I'll have paid down enough equity that I can either pull that equity to add more value to the property in the future through what we just mentioned, adding more units, de- developing it to a new higher best use, or you can kind of pull that equity out and go expand your portfolio. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, this is a, a great episode. This is something that both you and I have done, um, several times over this is something that we're passionate about teaching people how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully it created some value. And if you need connections in any of these spaces, we have contractors, we have people who are do, do drawings. We have planners happy to connect you. One of our big goals with this show is to start building out that network. So if you're, and if you're a contractor, if you're a planner, if you're an engineer and you want to be connected to other people on our audience who need your services, come to a meetup that's going to be starting in September, coast to coast. And then also send us a message. So we know we have that data point. We have you in our CRM, which is basically just a piece, I think a piece of paper at this point, or is it post-it notes? What have we figured out? <laughs> it's no, actually it's an Excel, Excel writing Excel on the wall. <laughs> it's our, it's our email inbox, but no, actually like, you know, we want to know, we want to be able to start sorting our audience and categorizing it. Nick and I are really people who are good at connecting the dots. And so if you're a contractor and you're looking to build ADUs in Kitchen Waterloo, um, first of all, come to our meetup. But second of all, send us a note so we know who you are so we can connect you when somebody inevitably reaches out looking for that exact service. Yeah. Awesome, Dan. Thanks so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you at a meetup soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.